When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What it's like to speak truth to power tonight on Laura Coates Live. Hundreds of people reportedly detained across Russia for attending vigils and rallies that are mourning the sudden death of Putin's most feared and most fearless critic, Alexei Navalny, in prison. Now, Navalny's widow posting a video today saying, Vladimir Putin, quote, killed the father of my children. And as world leaders condemn the death of a man who knew he was risking his life for the sake of his country, Donald Trump apparently just couldn't resist making it all about, well, you know who, sharing an article on his social media comparing himself to Navalny and going on a rant claiming that Navalny's death made him, quote, aware of what is happening in our country, unquote. Take a look at a couple of key words there, words that may tell you what's really getting underneath Donald Trump's skin. Judges, grossly unfair courtroom decisions. Hmm. Could that possibly have anything to do with the 35, sorry, $355 million fine that he was hit with in the New York fraud case, combined with the $83 million judgment against him for defaming E. Jean Carroll? Only in, in Trump world could the former president make Navalny's death about him. I am talking to the perfect person to weigh in on Navalny and what it's like to speak truth to power or speak the truth about power as well. I want to bring in NBA player Enes Cantor Freedom. He is an outspoken critic of human rights abuses and a big defender of democracy. He has called out Vladimir Putin as well as other leaders around the world, including the president of Turkey, the country where he was raised, and has faced backlash for speaking out. And I thank you so much for joining us this evening. Mm -hmm. Just thinking about what you must be feeling when you hear about Navalny's death. I mean, he repeatedly stood up to Putin, never gave up his fight for democracy, and his wife is vowing mm -hmm. to continue that fight. What is your reaction to his death and, and his legacy moving forward? You know, first of all, thank you for having me. Navalny spoke truth to power. I mean, he returned to Russia after Putin tried to poison him. And he knew he will be arrested, but he wanted to set an example for millions of Russians and others who are fighting for freedom. And the most important thing we can do to honor Navalny's legacy is to support Ukraine, because victory for Ukraine can lead to freedom for Russia. When you look at this, Ennis, and think about, you know, how people are reacting, mm -hmm. not just in terms of other foreign policy mm -hmm. decisions and beyond, but there are those who are protesting, who have been trying to speak out to the, uh, to the powers that be. Looking at the screen right now, people getting arrested in the snow, violently apprehended and taken into custody. According to an independent Russian human rights group, nearly 400 people have been detained reportedly across Russia for attending vi vigils and rallies in honor of him. And the, the protests themselves, I'm wondering from your perspective, are these feeling futile 
if Putin is not held accountable? You know, we need to hold uh, dictators and wannabe dictators uh, accountable. And, you know, condemning this kind of dictatorships is not enough. We have to take concrete uh, actions. And um, so I'm calling on all the Western countries, NATO allies, and democratic uh, countries to actually start taking actions against these uh, dictatorship, dictatorships because they do not care about our condemning. So we have to take concrete actions. I wonder what those actions look like. Have you given any thought to what that means? Because some who protest might say, well, I, I do the speaking out. I stand here and I protest because I can't have the weight of another government behind me. What does the concrete movement look like? You know, we need to actually, uh, when I say concrete actions, you know, we need to put sanctions on individuals. Maybe we can use... Uh, um, some sanctions to individuals around uh, Putin, and we can use Magnitsky Act, you know, to uh, put pressure on uh, some of these uh, people on, uh, around Putin. You know, in a recent um, couple of days now, you've probably heard former President Trump sharing an opinion mm -hmm. uh, piece on social media. He, he actually compared himself to Navalny. I don't know if you saw that. He also shared a video of Hungary's authoritarian leader, Viktor Orban, saying that he wants Trump to be president. When you think about the impact of that, just having the rubbing of elbows or having those statements be made, what comes to mind for you? I think the first thing that comes to my mind is we need democracy around the world. And we need democracy, we need freedom all around the world. So we cannot give those dictators any voice anymore. You know, I'm wondering from a personal standpoint, because I know um, I, I really started mm -hmm. to follow your career all the more because of how mm -hmm. outspoken you had become. You faced opposition. You faced threats for taking a stand against yeah. anti-democratic governments, even turning you into someone who, um, you know, was not welcomed mm -hmm. by the government in a country where you were raised. Right. I wonder personally what it feels like to speak up, knowing the consequences could be either yep. being banned, so to speak, or even hurt, mm -hmm. let alone injured and killed. You know, freedom is not free, and it definitely comes with the consequences. And just because of I talk about the problems that are happening in my home country, Turkey, they revoked my passport, they put my name on Interpol list, and now I have 12 arrest warning for me in the last uh, nine years. And just recently, Turkish government put a bounty on my head, and and my family had to publicly disown me so they, they will uh, leave him alone. But my dad uh, was in jail, but huge uh, thanks to American government that put so much pressure from here to Turkey, they had to uh, let him go. You know, there are a lot of people are out there and struggling, so we need to be their voice. So what I'm trying to do is, we, uh, I'm trying to be the voice of all those innocent people out there who don't have a voice. And uh, the one thing that I think the one word, one word our, our world is missing is empathy. So we need to definitely uh, do that word more. How have you kept yourself safe? Because just describing it, you can't go to many mm -hmm. countries. I think only like 20 or so countries you're able to even visit. Yeah. You have Interpol, you said, arrest warrants, a bounty on your head at one point yeah. in time. I mean, how do you keep yourself safe? Yeah, well, I uh, have to actually be in touch with the FBI in every every day. And every country I go to, I have to let them know where I'm going. Every city, every state I, I, I visit, you know, I have to let FBI know where I'm going. Actually, uh, the FBI came to my house and they set up this thing called panic button. And they said, whenever you feel uncomfortable, 
push that button. We'll be there in two, three minutes. I mean, it, like I said, again, you know, it comes with, you know, some consequences, but uh, we have to stand up for these uh, authoritarian regimes out there. I mean, just thinking about what you have to go, I mean, checking you with the FBI, panic buttons, you, you've spoken yeah. out against corruption. You've spoken out in favor of democracy. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine the yeah. consequences for others who have spoken out um, with regimes who are intending on really harming someone as well. What, what word of advice would mm -hmm. you give to Navalny's now widow, who has been continuously mm -hmm. speaking up and also identifying Putin as the reason for her husband's death? Yeah. You know, first to his family, I feel terrible. Uh, I feel terrible because the hardest thing about going against a dictator is the pain you know your family has to go through. Mm -hmm. And uh, to all his kids, you know, Daria, Zakhar, and his, his you know, wife, Yulia, I cannot imagine what you're going through, but you need to understand that the whole world is with you and praying uh, for you guys. And your dad's bravery is strength. We're unique in this world. And... Uh, so he inspired millions of people, and we're just uh, praying for, for you guys, uh, for sure. I mean, the inspiration, as you see, from those who are showing out for yeah. protests and vigils, but I wonder if the inspiration is enough for you to not feel afraid for her safety. Yeah, I mean, if we, like I said again, you know, all we have to do is just keep standing up against the dictatorships because freedom comes with consequences. So whatever happens, we can never, ever give up. Ennis Cantor Freedom, thank you so much for joining. I can't mm -hmm. imagine what it is like for you. We talk about speaking truth to power. I wonder if anyone anticipates the risks and the sustained ones that you've experienced and so many others. Thank you so much. No, thank you to Sienna family for giving me the platform to talk about human rights violations. I appreciate that. Thank you. And in the midst of all of this, let's not forget we've actually got an election going on. We talk about democracy abroad, democracy in action here in the United States and what it means, particularly after the former president has claimed that we don't have free and fair elections. Well, he is going to be a part of a primary in a state called South Carolina on Saturday. The big question, will Nikki Haley stay in the race even if she loses in her home state? What she's saying about all that tonight, we're gonna to talk about next. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting edge technology to give you effortless, high quality sleep every night. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now during Sleep Number's President's Day sale, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed plus special financing for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. See store for details. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life, I sit down with Giles Yeo. It is a problem of our brain influencing the hunger. So hunger is a brain scenario, even though the feeling of hunger comes from your stomach. It's a very new and provocative way of thinking about a condition that impacts more than 40% of Americans. But the thing is, this approach could have big consequences for the way that we treat obesity. Listen to Chasing Life, wherever you get your podcasts. 
Nikki Haley taking aim at Donald Trump in the lead up to the South Carolina primary happening this Tuesday, where polls suggest that she trails, well, by an overwhelming margin. I think Trump is mentally diminished. Everything he touches, we lose. We're seeing all of these things happen and Trump's doing late night rants about his court cases. He's gonna be in court for the rest of the year. We can't be distracted. I don't know why he keeps getting weak in the knees when it comes to Russia. How many more times do we have to lose before we say maybe he's the problem? Well, that primary is coming this Saturday, this Saturday, and I wanna bring in Republican strategist Sir Michael Singleton, former Deputy Chief of Staff of Housing and Urban Development under President Trump. Also here, CNN political commentator Ashley Allison, who served as the National Coalition's Director for the Biden-Harris 2020 campaign. Okay, everyone, it's Monday. Saturday is the big day. The real question, of course, she waited until now in the last about month or so to really ramp up all of her attacks against Trump. Um, of course, you got to wonder what took so long. She has said in the past, well, now he's my focus. Everyone's out of the race. She's going to deliver a state of the race speech tomorrow. You've been talking to activists in South Carolina. Mm -hmm. What's happening on the ground? Is there support for her? There's not a lot of support at all. I mean, almost all of the elected officials statewide, locally, federal, have all endorsed Trump. Most of the uh, senior recognized pastors of mega churches in South mm -hmm. Carolina have also sort of instructed their parishioners to get behind the former president. But why is that? Why not Haley? Nikki Haley, for many of those conservatives, don't speak the type of language in terms of politics, traditionally speaking, that they want. And by that, I mean they want someone to take a complete wrecking ball to the political establishment. And they see Trump as being that individual. They recognize that Trump has some faults on a whole host of issues if you really talk to many of the evangelicals. But they will say, I don't particularly care about those things because I am relevant again uh, because of Donald Trump. And, and there is a level of, of truth to that, if you will. And so Nikki Haley, she's viewed as one person said she's a globalist. And those of us in South Carolina, we're tired of Republican globalists, so we're just not getting behind her. You know, it's interesting that I've always kind of chuckled thinking about who would be the quintessential establishment person. It's the president of the United How can <laughs> How much more establishment can you get than being the president of the United States? And he's the former president, and yet it doesn't seem to stick on him for whatever reason. But if you're wondering if Nikki Haley actually is going to step down after Saturday, if she doesn't win, she is vowing tonight to stay in the race for Tuesday. Listen to this. I promise you this. On Sunday, I'm headed to Michigan. And then we're going to Super Tuesday states. And we're going to keep on going. Well, she's promising you this. What do you make of that promise? I don't intend to hold Nikki Haley accountable for any of her promises because <laughs> I don't really think that's her track record. Um, look, if Nikki Haley's donors stay behind her through Super Tuesday, then she'll probably stay in the race. Most folks who can't win a primary or caucus drop out because their funding dries mm -hmm. up and they can't afford their staff in the uh, apparatus to actually win. But that's not the case for Nikki Haley right now. Most donors would have bailed at this point, but they're still supporting her and they're still, so stay in the race. But what's, a, what's, but what's behind that? that? That's what I keep trying to understand. Is it because, is she in the race because she thinks that, look, she's kind of the alternative Olympian here and maybe somebody, I don't know, might have a doping thing, they might have an issue, they might break a leg, and then you've got her in the actual Olympics again. Is that what's happening? Perhaps, but I think that there is a portion, probably not the majority, but a portion of Republicans who really do want to walk away from Donald Trump and Nikki Haley is their best shot. Now, as a Democrat looking at this, I want to see what happens in Michigan then if she's still in the race on uh, for that primary 
or what happens in Super Tuesday, because it can give a tell a little bit of where the Republican yeah. electorate is. And for the general, then what Democrats need to do to speak to folks in particular battleground states. But if the money is there, Nikki is probably going to stay. It doesn't seem like she's throwing more blows now than she ever yeah. has before. So she's not really focused on party unity in the Republican Party right now. Does it now. compromise her chances for the future? If, if she were, I know everyone's always thinking about the next race. Yeah. They talk about get out now while you have some level of political respect if you're not really winning. Because maybe in 2028, you got a better deal going on. Is that her issue? I mean, what leverage would she have going into 2020? I mean, I think someone should pinch Nikki Haley and say, wake up from your dream and live in reality. And the reality is there isn't a path for you. Most of her mega donors have already pulled away from her. I believe there's only two or three from my understanding that are remaining and at least two out of those three are saying after south carolina they're moving on to donald trump because they recognize it's, it's a waste of money in the eyes of many uh, gop likely primary voters she has become a nuisance candidate they see her as someone who is standing in a way from the guy that they want to give another opportunity and if i were advising her, i would say look we should start focusing on 2028 go ahead and do what we have to do to start building up the apparatus write some books get on the speaking circuit uh, join some boards do whatever we can the best position you because it's going to be a very competitive field on the Republican side. She's not thinking about those things. That's hard, though. That is really hard to stay in the limelight if you are a Republican candidate who is not in office. And that is what Nikki Haley is right now. So she is trying to I, I understand the maybe the nuisance right now, but there are still some Republicans who want an alternative and could give her the benefit of the doubt when Donald Trump can no longer be a candidate because he's behind bars, because he um, has won and is not able to have a second term or, term or because the Republican Party has thrown him to the wayside uh, eventually. And that she could, they could say, well, she stood in there. She held her weight and I'm going to now pull behind her. But Four years actually, is a long way to tell. I bet if Donald Trump were to call her and say, after South Carolina, I'm willing to consider you to be my running mate. I bet Nikki Haley would say, OK, I'd put money on it. Yeah, but she would probably say... How much say, money are we talking about? Because I got cash. <laughs> I, I would say she would say, I got a we all, dollar. We all, we all carry cash. I'm only putting right a dollar on these Republicans right now. But what I will say is, she would probably say, I need a guarantee. I need a public guarantee. Mm -hmm. Not even contention. I, yeah. I you know, I, why would I do that? All right, well, we're going to take a commercial break, and we're going to count up how much money we're talking about right now. Not that I would bet on anything on politics. <laughs> sure, Michael, Ashley, thank you both so much. Thanks, Look, Laura. former President Trump is facing a hefty legal bill, speaking about a lot of cash, after his New York civil fraud trial to the tune of $355 million plus interest. How's he going to foot it all? You've got Harry Enten at the Magic Wall to explain next. Well, to the surprise of precisely no one, Donald Trump is vowing to appeal this after a New York judge ordered him to pay $355 million plus interest for fraudulently inflating the value of his properties. Now, he's also barred from serving in a top role at any New York company over the next three years. So what exactly does he owe? And maybe the big question, how will he pay for all of it? CNN's Harry Enten is at the magic wall, hoping you'll answer that question for you. It's a huge financial penalty. So break this down for us. I mean, where is it coming out of? Whose pocket? Who's going to have to pay? Is it really Trump? Well, you know, Laura, you mentioned that, you know, the interest and you mentioned the recent ruling, of course, against Trump in New York. But also add in the E. Jean Carroll. And now you're looking at recent legal judgments 
that Trump may have to pay $500 million or more. Now, you look at his net worth per Forbes, it's $2.6 billion with a B. Now, $500 million is less than $2.6 billion. But even for somebody like Donald Trump, that is a pr pretty significant chunk mm -hmm. of change. And it comes at a time where I've been looking at the Forbes list, where, in fact, his net worth is down a little bit less than a billion dollars from where it was a year ago. So the fact is, he's been losing wealth, and now it looks like he may lose even more wealth. So will he be able to raise this money? I mean, there's no requirement he has to be the person to be the supplier exclusively of this money. Could he raise it? Because every time he has a legal issue, he seems to raise money. It's exactly right. I mean, take a look at during the campaign, all right? What do we see here? Trump's two biggest fundraising days. He raised about $4 million on each day when Trump was arraigned in Manhattan court and also when Trump was booked in Fulton County Jail. Remember that infamous mugshot over there? So the fact is, Trump has been able to raise a lot of money during his campaign when he has been in legal problems. We'll see if this is the latest example of that or perhaps, perhaps he's run out the well, has run a little bit dry. We'll just have to wait and see. But he has raised a lot of money before from his donors when he's in legal trouble. Had you not said, well, I was going to quote Boyce to Men and not wait for that water to run dry. That's a heck of a song. But there is something else in his future right now. I hear that he has, dare I say, a new venture. I mean, forget real estate. He now has sneakers. Yeah, he has sneakers, Laura. So, you know, you mentioned the idea essentially, okay, how is Trump going to raise all of this money? How about selling some never surrender high tops? Golden, 399 compared to Nikes, which sell on average for $80. So this seems like a lot more money. And this is just generally in line with what Trump has done, historically speaking. Other merchandise Trump has sold. Remember Trump stakes? I'm raising the stakes. Trump cologne, Trump ice water, Trump mattresses, and Trump vodka, which after this segment I might need a little bit of. So he's done a lot of, of fundraising and a lot of raising of wealth through perhaps some untraditional means for a former president. I would like to know which pair of Nikes that my son keeps buying only costs $80. I'm, I'm curious to find those Nikes, but we'll see what's happening. Maybe I'm missing a sale rack of some kind. I mean, the 11-year-old got a size and 11 and a half shoe. So maybe I'm just bitter. Harry Anton, thank you so much. My pleasure. It ain't the Air Jordans. It's, it sure is not. Tell you that right now. <laughs> Harry, as always, nice talking to you. Bye. <laughs> Well, let's bring in the chairman of O'Leary Ventures, Shark Tank judge Kevin O'Leary. Kevin, so good to see you this evening. I mean, let me just jump right in here. Last time you and I spoke about the possibility of what the fine could be in this case, we now know what it is. It's more than 350 million bucks. That's a huge financial hit. And I'm, I'm wondering, where is he going to get this money? Actually, it's closer to half a billion with a 9% interest, assuming True. it'll take 18 to two years to actually settle this in an appeal, which I think it should be appealed. Um, he'll work hard to raise it. I think he can do it. But I, what I, I don't think this case is about Trump anymore at all, because you heard the governor of New York come out yesterday and say, look, everybody, uh, don't be scared about doing a business in New York. Uh, because the only people we prosecute are people like Donald Trump who don't behave well. That didn't go over very well with the investment community because we're all asking each other, who's next? This was a victimless crime. Nobody lost any money. And a judge out of nowhere put on a $355 million penalty. I mean, who's next? So if you well, think Kevin, about before the I, I don't want to cut you off, but I hear about the, the so-called victimless crimes, but 
the laws on the books, falsification of business records in second degree, issuing false financial statements, insurance fraud, conspiracy, and all these different aspects of it, those are actual crimes. I take it your point is that these should not have been prosecuted? No, my point is there's never been a case like this in 75 years. Everything you just listed off is done by every real estate developer everywhere on earth in every city. This has never, ever been prosecuted. But here's the real point that people in New York should concern themselves with. You can put your money anywhere. I'm a real estate developer. Do you think there's a chance I would ever take a chance on New York again? New York is turning itself into a flyover state. I have to build data centers now. I'm not going to go to New York. New York has power. It's got fiber optics. It's got Niagara Falls. But no, we're not even thinking about it. We're going to places that have the exact same thing where we have rational governors that have never done this to investors. This is about New York and its people. If I were in New York today and I was living there, I would ask myself, maybe we should hire better management. Why is this happening to us? Why are we becoming a flyover state? Why are well, investors Kevin, concerned about putting their money there? But shouldn't you ask, that, wouldn't, wouldn't those people also be saying, first of all, I do wonder how many people take issue with the idea that every investor is engaged in falsifying business records, that every investor is engaged in what has been accused of Donald Trump and the Trump organization, because there's probably a lot who are saying to themselves, I've never falsified my business records. I know what a square foot looks like. I know what, what I can ask for and what I have the money to support. So I, I wonder to what extent that really is true. But on the second point, wouldn't there be many companies who would not want to do business or loan money to people like yourself or investors if they know that they can get away with fraud and there's no recourse to protect them? Excuse me, what fraud? I don't, I, this is not about Trump anymore. When you get a developer, when you get a developer that builds a building and he says it's worth $400 million and he wants to borrow $200 million from a bank, which happens every day, everywhere on earth, including every American city, every developer is an entrepreneur. They shine the light on their building and they say it's worth 400. The bank does its own due diligence, as was done in this case because they're very good at it, the banks are very good, and they say, no, it's worth 300. We're only gonna loan you 150 million. That haggling has gone on for decades. That's how it works. And then in this case, even, the bank that was supposedly defrauded testified and said, we didn't lose anything. We wanna do business with this guy again. We'd like to, but the judge said, no, 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 no. Let's penalize this developer for 355 million. And if we're going to do that, let's penalize all the developers, all across America, they've all done the same thing. All of them should go to jail and we should stop building buildings. That's what the message is from New York. Even the governor herself is concerned about what this looks like to investors all around the world. It's not just U.S. domestic. All well, around the world, people are talking about what happened here. You really think people want to invest money in New York after this? How about we go well, somewhere I, I else? Think how, I think there are to, people who would, I don't want to cut you off, but I, I want to converse well, with you, you instead. you just did. I, it's, it's only because I want you're, to have a conversation, a, you know what? Kevin, as opposed you, to just you, having you I respect you tell you because you're a lawyer. You're a lawyer. You understand well, exactly what I'm talking about. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm respectable for a number of reasons, Kevin O'Leary, but being a, a lawyer is one of those issues. But I'll tell you, when I, when I hear your conversation, and I do want to converse with you about this point, I understand that there are legitimate concerns that were raised during the trial and will continue to be raised about 
who the quote unquote, what, who is actually bringing the suit? It wasn't the banks who were saying that we as consumers are unsophisticated feel this way. But Letitia James, the attorney general, and I know you want to expand beyond Trump, has suggested, well, it's about making the playing field level for those who are not the major and billionaire investors, but for those who are supposed to put business records out there, want to get a loan, the idea of making sure that they have to have the same true statements included as those who have a lot more money. Is there any weight to that for you? Well, I ask you, who lost money? And I'll make it even clearer. You and I, we're developing a data center together. And I say to you, we can go to New York where this just happened. It's your money now. You're now an investor and you're taking risk. You're an entrepreneur with me, right beside me. We're together on the deal. Or I can show you Oklahoma, North Dakota, West Virginia, where the governors actually ran businesses. Let's go there where this never happened before. They have power, they have permits. They've got legislation that's supportive of entrepreneurship. Why would we go to New York? Why take the risk? My only point is, did we just diminish the great state of New York and the great people of New York? And shouldn't they ask for better management so they don't become a flyover state? Remember, New York has the highest taxes in the country, the worst regulatory environment, and it's incredibly mismanaged. And I'm pointing out now on top of that, you get this insanity. A, a victimless crime, and forget about Trump, it's not about Trump. I don't care about Trump in this. I care about America, and I care about entrepreneurship, and I care about democracy, and the fairness. The judicial system is now being criticized. People are asking themselves, the bar of New York, is this judge rational to charge 355 million in a case where no one lost any money? Is that good for the people of New York? Should the people of New York wake up to this and say, what's happening to us? Why is this becoming so perverse? Why are we the focus of this injustice? And I, nothing to do with Trump. I'm not supporting Trump. I'm supporting American entrepreneurship. And New York is slowly becoming the number one loser state in America. I'm sorry, that's what's happening. Well, that's news to the city that doesn't sleep. But I'll tell you what, the governor has said that legitimate business operations have nothing to worry about. I, as an attorney, am looking at this issue, wondering what the appeals process will look like, because they're going to delve into that very topic that you have raised. They're going to talk about perhaps the novelty of this being, as you described, not brought on behalf of, you know, unsophisticated consumers who may have been duped, but decisions made by loan entities who wanted to engage in business with this particular organization. Let, let That'll be really important. Go ahead, put I your hand put up. up my hand. I want to put up my hand and ask, Governor, who's next? Who are you going after next? Please you want your hand us. up for that, Kevin? Put your hand down if that's know. the question. Who's what do you next? mean? Every, well, every entrepreneur in New York is saying, am I next? Who's next? Well, let me ask you this, because um, you don't want to talk about Trump, but I have to ask you, because you're a businessman who likes to talk about licensing. Do you currently own, or will you be buying one of these gold sneakers? <laughs> I, th thank you. No, <laughs> it's very expensive, very expensive. But you have to hand it That's to the expensive. branding. Okay. You, you have to hand it. I collect watches, two of them right here. I'd rather buy a watch. Do you have two Thank watches? You. Okay, well, you know what time it is. All right, fine. Kevin O'Leary, I'll let you and your two watches go. We'll talk again. There'll be other times for us to speak. Thanks, Kevin. Take care. Bye-bye.
Next, an intense three-point shootout. I should have mentioned Dame time, Dame Dillard time, like this. That's the next connection here between Seth Curry and Sabrina Iorescu, who during the All-Star weekend had a bit of the battle of the sexes. But it's these comments from sports commentator Kenny Smith that are sparking a whole lot of controversy. You shoot shot from the three-point line that the women shoot from. Why are you putting those boundaries on her? That's not a boundary. She That's what the game is. Well, it was a record-setting NBA All-Star game this weekend, but controversy is following the historic three-point contest between NBA star Steph Curry and WNBA star Sabrina Ionescu, who Curry, of course, won with 29 points after she set the bar very high with 26 points. It was moments after the contest that are sparking some outrage. Listen to TNT commentator Kenny Smith. She should have shot from the women's line. That would have been a fair contest. I still root for Sabrina. I still root for Sabrina. We all are rooting for Sabrina. No. What she should have shot from the three-point line that the women shoot from. Why are you putting those boundaries on her? That's not a boundary. She That's what the game is. She wanted to shoot. They have a smaller ball, don't they? She shot a WNBA ball. WNBA ball is smaller. She shot with the WNBA ball. Yeah, but ball. she, she should have shot from the line. There's a women's team. tee in golf and there's a men's tee. I should note that TNT and CNN share the same parent company. Let's talk about now with Jamel Hill, contributing writer at The Atlantic and host of the Jamel Hill is Unbothered podcast. So, Jamel, were you bothered by the comments or unbothered by them? <laughs> uh, great to be with you. Um, listen, I, I know Kenny a, a little bit, and he doesn't have the reputation, as far as I'm aware, of being some raging or undercover sexist. Mm -hmm. But just like any broadcaster, sometimes you can say things that are thoughtless. And I thought what he said was pretty thoughtless. And I think for it immediately to pivot to this point of automatically, and maybe this wasn't his intention, of undermining what she did right there in what should have been a celebratory moment. I also couldn't really follow the logic you know, mm. Sabrina, uh, by her own admission, when she practices, she practices from the men's three-point line, okay? And a lot of women's players who play in the WBA, they practice against men. So shooting is shooting. And this was her opportunity on a relatively level playing field to show how she measured up against one of the best, or excuse me, let me correct myself, the greatest shooter mm -hmm. in NBA history. And as we see, she came pretty close. Now, here's the thing. Had she done what Kenny said, and been at the WNBA line, and let's say she beat Steph, everybody would have undermined that. Or right. even with her um, coming within a few points, a lot of people would have said, well, she only came be within a couple of points because she was playing from a different line. It's like sometimes can't, women can't win for losing. It's like you're damned if you do and you're damned mm -hmm. if you don't. But I thought she represented the WNBA and women's players and women's basketball overall very, very well. I thought she did, too. And again, she set that bar pretty high. And wasn't that around the same points that Dame also got? I mean, Lillard, in terms of how he won the competition, obviously it was a yep. different uh, set of events there. But still, it's a significant number. But I do wonder, especially given the whole point, Jamel, was to really showcase. And I thought Steph was deferential to her. She's deferential to him. They had a mutual level of respect. It was jarring not to hear that coming through the commentary as well. So what happens now? What should happen now? Well, I, I think we also have to remember, I mean, not only was her score easily uh, equal, you know, to, or in the territory of what, what Dame Lillard did to win the three-point contest this year, uh, I believe it was last year where she set a record 
for a yep. man, a male or a female player with 37 points in the WNBA uh, three-point contest. I, I just think going into the commentary, as we get to a point, we see the popularity of women's basketball continue to explode. A, a star like Caitlin Clark is taking the game in a new direction is that we have to get more commentators. And this is no disrespect to Kenny Smith, Kenny Smith, but Candace Parker, celebrated WNBA player, Hall of Fame level player, NCAA champion is right there and is a TNT broadcaster. There has to be more women if we're going to continue to have these events. And Stefan and Sabrina talked about doing this again next year when the NBA All-Star Game is in San Francisco. I think it would be in their best interest if they had a women's player there who played in the WNBA, who is able to offer analysis and critique of what we're seeing. Or maybe just a commentator who appreciated the expertise, skill, and athleticism of everyone on the court at each moment. Jamel, I nominate you, well, yeah. of course. <laughs> and, and listen, I, I will gladly take that job. I'm volunteering right now, right here on your show. If you guys want I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> I volunteer as tribute. If y'all want me uh, at the NBA All-Star Game next year, if they run it back, I will happily, I mean, volunteer is kind of a strong word, but I'll happily <laughs> offer my services. <laughs> well, something tells me we would have heard a very different commentary. And again, you and I are in this business. We know full well that when the mic is on, there are going to be moments that you're proud of and moments that you're not as proud of. I hope at any point, though, it's a learning opportunity. I had my daughter and my son listening and they had questions about the commentary, and I wanted them to focus on what happened on the court, and that was the problem. Jamel Hill, thank you so much. We'll be right back. Appreciate you. This ain't Texas. Ain't no hold'em. They are cards down, 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 down. You may have seen Beyonce rocking a cowboy hat for a while now, and this could be why Queen Bee has released two singles singles now from her new album, Act Two, that have a bit of, well, twang to them. Yep, Beyonce is going country. Some would say she's going back to country and does not come without some controversy. A radio station in Oklahoma initially denying a fan's request to play her new song, Texas Hold'em, saying, well, they're a country music station. The New York Times reports station manager ended up playing the song after backlash on social media. Joining me now is Michael Eric Dice. He's a professor of African-American and diaspora studies at Vanderbilt University and has even taught a few Beyonce classes. So, Michael, so good to see you tonight. I'm glad you're here. Look, black artists have been sidelined from country for years, which is interesting given the, the history of country music. Will this move the needle in some way? It's great to be here, Laura. I think so. You know, I'm a big country music fan. Uh, Carla Winfrey and Henry Giles 20 years ago made a documentary, Waiting in the Wings, and I participated in that. My dad is from Albany, Georgia, mother from Hyssop, Alabama. There was country music all in our home. And there have been many country musicians. Think about Ray Charles, who really transformed country music, uh, modern sounds of country and Western. They would refuse to play him on the country music stations, and yet he articulated to the broader society the noble aesthetic at the heart of what used to be called hillbilly music. So there are many other black artists uh, who deserve to be heard, Reese Palmer, or think about uh, the great group, uh, the duo uh, War and the Treaty. I think those figures will be served well by Beyonce being played on these country music stations, most of which are playing her. Only a few have decided not to, but I think she'll open up a huge wall and create a, an opportunity 
for other artists who have been doing this for years and decades to be heard. I got to create a playlist based on all the people you just mentioned just now. A lot of people will. But, Michael, when you look at all this and think about how there are other artists who go from country to, say, other genres with fluidity, Taylor Swift comes to mind as but one example. Why do you think right. the other way around seems to be so difficult? Is it because it is a black woman who's doing it? Well, yeah. I mean, her husband, uh, Jay-Z, stood up and reprimanded uh, the Academy of Recording Music for not awarding her the ultimate prize. Now, the irony is, the paradox is that she's been the most awarded person in the history of the Grammys, but it's been kind of ghettoized. You can do dance, you can do other kinds of things, but you can't really be rewarded for the great uh, prize of great artistic achievement. So, yeah, that's uh, to a degree true. But, you know, the great Mia McNeil, who is the director of industry relations and um, diversity at uh, the Country Music Association, invited me to a black excellence brunch uh, during country if, for Country Music Association. And the Country Music Fest had a bunch of black artists mm -hmm. who white audiences were clamoring to hear. So I think, yeah, it's some of the prejudice, some of the bias, and some of the not being used to the fact that this is old black music, the fiddle, the banjo deriving from African antecedents. This is black music. And look, I used to listen to, to the old Hank Williams, uh, hey, good looking, what you got cooking? How's about cooking something up with me? Patsy Cline, you know, I went to see George Strait and almost got an electric storm here in Nashville. So yes, I think it will open up some minds, some eyes and some hearts to the fact that this is American music at its best. And an artist should be able to go from jazz to pop, to blues, to hip hop, and to country music. After all, black folk are the heart and soul of that music as well. Let me find out Michael Eric Dyson's got a whole cowboy boot collection in his house. Okay. I, I love got it. it, baby. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Michael Eric Dyson, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you all for watching. I'll be live on Instagram at the Lara Coach. Just a couple of minutes in my after show. I will not be singing country, but be sure to tune in nonetheless. And we have more of Beyonce's new sound. Do you hear it? As our coverage continues. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.